You're listening to Unraveling Rachel. This podcast is all about this journey that we call life and how we can live it more authentically so that it sucks less and feels better. Sounds good, huh? Hello there, my friends. Today's episode is going to be talking about the things that I have learned in the year uh, post Moas in, in this first rebirthday year, what I've learned. And um, Moas, for those who may not know, is what they, uh, they being, I don't know, <laughs> this rare cancer community and doctors call this surgery that I had, um, which is a combination of cytoreductive surgery and HIPEC, so CRS HIPEC. Uh, the HIPEC, I, I can't remember exactly what it stands for. It's something like heated or hyperthermic interperitoneal chemotherapy. It's what I affectionately call my abdominal chemo jacuzzi. <laughs> um, after the cytoreductive surgery, which is where they cut me open. Okay, one more disclaimer that I meant to make before I jumped into the the meat of this episode is that I'm going to be very honest about my experience and some of that might be uh, include descriptions of physical aspects of the body, um, my emotional uh, responses, my views of the world and, and the systems that we live in. And this is all based on my experience. And if you have any um, uh if, if talking about the body and surgery, cancer might be triggering for you, um, just be aware that I'm going there. <laughs> I'm going there, so please take care of yourself. Um, and I'm going to go there right now with a description of the surgery that I had on June 20th. And they it was 13 and a half hours. They cut me open. I was cut open from my breastbone to my pubic bone. And basically they took everything out and removed the tumor and the mucin that was in my abdomen. They burnt off bits of tumor. They cut it off. They, I don't even know, you know, I went somewhere else during that time. Um, while two surgeons worked to remove this disease from within me, um, one of my surgeons has been doing this for like 30 years. And recently I've been reading this book about um, the brain that changes itself. And it talks about how like there was a study where like a fingertip was stimulated um, for a certain amount of time during the day or something. And the area that related to the sensory input for that fingertip in the brain, it grew. Um, so the brain was giving more energy to the sensory input of that fingertip. And like, I was told by nurses in the hospital that his hands were legendary, my surgeon, that he could just feel the smallest tumors. And there was a part of me that was like, okay, <laughs> you know, I want to believe that because I want him to get it all. But now reading this and understanding more about how our bodies and our brains work together, it's like, wow, cool. 
he's been he's done this for so long he's done so many surgeries like mine that are 10 plus hours long um that he has a sense of what is there that I can't even fathom you know I'm touching my finger as I'm thinking about this and I'm like wow so that's that's pretty cool um so after that cytoreductive surgery with this surgeon's hands on like every inch of my internal space it's a weird thing to think about um a little bit invasive like violating you know like a like that feeling of when you know someone's been in your room uninvited it's very intimate um and that's something that I've been processing over the last year uh, because I think Initially, after surgery, I dissociated from it. Um, but I want to finish talking about the surgery, <laughs> getting ahead of myself. Uh, so after that, there was the chemotherapy, the abdominal chemo jacuzzi. They closed me up, they put in the chemo, they sloshed me around, and that hopefully kills anything that wasn't removed by the surgery. Um, so that all went down on June 20th of 2019, I came out of surgery at around 9.30 p.m. at night. I didn't wake up until I don't really know when. My memory's fuzzy, so I rely on what I've been told by others. And I spent three days on a ventilator. I thought it was four before, but I recalculated it's three. Felt like an eternity. And another total of 15 days in the hospital seven or eight in ICU and seven or eight in oncology I don't remember which was which and in this episode I want to talk about a little bit about things that I have learned in this last year things that I've observed um just some thoughts uh that I jotted down as I was reflecting um since I was rebirthed from this mother of all surgeries. And the first thing is that um, doctors do not know as much as we think they do. Some of us think they do. Um, I feel like this is being highlighted in our world right now with COVID-19 and what we know about it and what we don't. And there's a bit of a feeling that our medical system should be better, which it should, like there are things that could be better. Um, but also this feeling that like they should know more about it. They being the researchers, the doctors, um, and why is the information always changing? You know, why do they say this, this one day that like the virus can be spread via your groceries and then they say it's not, it's because there's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we don't know. There's, we're only looking at a, a single part of what's going on. And I think that that is a problem with Western doctors is that we're only looking at like the disease symptom instead of the whole system of what's allowing this disease to flourish. And I observe that from diagnosis 
uh, and my struggle for diagnosis through the surgery and through this year of recovery that they're playing a guessing game and they're they're knowledgeable about a lot of things and there are a lot of things that they're not knowledgeable about and they really are focusing on a small part of the system and for the most part just trying to make things better to make things go away rather than to create conditions that won't create the thing that isn't wanted if that makes sense um it's like if a plant keeps growing i don't know um and uh, this is maybe not a good example because i'm not a plant person and i don't really understand the whole like um ecology of plants I suppose but I'm gonna go with it anyway so like if there was a plant and it kept having like funk on its leaves and you just kept cutting off the leaves or spraying stuff on it and that the stuff would go away but then it would go back like but you're not looking at what is like what the air quality is like around the plant or what's in the soil um, that sort of thing. Like, I feel like doctors are just looking at the leaves and what's on the leaves and the medicine they can put on the leaves or can they cut the, the ick out instead of thinking about what's in the soil. And for me, the soil is like the environment that I live in, the amount of stress I'm exposed to, the air quality, the food that I eat, the water that I consume, the relationships that I have and Western doctors are not really, they don't, that's not a part of their practice to look at. Um, after my surgery, it was like, okay, cancer's out, you're cancer free. Here you go out into the world. <laughs> and now just hopefully the cancer stays away. Um, and I've been looking more at what my soil is like um, but it's a, there's a lot there. There's a, a lot there and at times it can be overwhelming. So, um, I want to want to share about that with the doctors not knowing as much as we would hope that they would, or that, you know, we think that they do is that it doesn't mean that the knowledge isn't out there just because this one person or this one profession that we have sort of like put on this pedestal to care for our health just because they don't have that doesn't mean that it's not out there and um, that by allowing these doctors this medical system and right now like politicians <laughs> to be the keepers of our health um, that we are in, in making that choice, which is very much for many of us, for me it was a not a, a real conscious choice. It's more of a conscious choice now as I'm learning or a conscious choice not to just leave my health in their hands. Um, it, uh, it empowers us to have access to fuller, truer health. And there are things that need to change at the system level, but 
changing our perception, our view within ourselves is really where I believe it starts. So I don't want this episode to become super duper long because I've got about 10 things that I'm going to talk about here, each of which could be its own episode and then some. Um, So I'm going to cut that thought off there and move on to nurses who I believe are the real heroes of the hospital. I have such fond memories of my nurse, Rachel, who took care of me um, for many of my days in the ICU a year ago. And there are some nurses that I do not have fond memories of. I was on that breathing machine for three days and I was a force to be reckoned with despite restraints, despite having something down my throat, uh, not being able to speak. I, I was also very, I'm a highly sensitive person to begin with. I was in this heightened state of, I mean, it was was post-trauma, post-surgical trauma. Um, I couldn't, like, family would get near me and I would need to know if they were coming or I would jump. And so if a nurse walked into the room that had, like, a bad attitude and really just wanted to push some Ativan on me so that I could, like go to sleep and be a good patient I kind of felt it and there are nurses that I fired (laughs) that I could not stand having in my presence and it was like bag on the side of the bed point the pen get out (laughs) um and there was a bit when I felt bad for how I acted in those times, but I realized like I was doing what I needed to do for for me to protect myself in that time. And I feel fortunate that whatever spirit was alive in me that allowed me to fight through some of the sedatives and and um and to not succumb to a mindset that could have been like, oh my gosh, I am in this situation. I'm so helpless. Um, I'm really grateful to that part of me that was that resilient. Um, and the, the nurses who really were able to meet me where I was at and to be calm in their own energy and to not be desensitized by their daily uh, routine of seeing people in these situations and to still see me as a human who is suffering, I really, really appreciate them. And the things that they needed to do to take care of me were not easy, maybe weren't pleasant, Um, you know, draining tubes coming out of me, um, dealing with doctors and attitudes and um, liaising with my, my family. Not that I'm saying my family was difficult, but it's a lot that they had to do. And managing, making sure that I got the right dosages of medicine at the right times, that they weren't mixed in lines that they shouldn't be in, um, all while having this um, bedside manner that allowed me to be in a good state for healing 
it's really, really impressive. Um, I have so much respect for nurses. And there was a time when I wanted to be a doctor because I thought doctors cared for people. And I'm not saying that doctors don't care for people, but nurses really care for people. Like they're the hands-on there for people and who they are. The doctors came in and out and I was like, you know, like vital statistics and did their handiwork, you know, like go, thinking of the surgeons, like did, did they do a good job? Did they get out what they needed to get out? I'm more of like, I felt in the presence of doctors, I felt more like an inanimate object than I did a human being. And feeling like a human being at that critical point was really important. Really, really important for me. I think feeling like a human being and connected to human beings is really important for all of us um, to be in a state of optimum health. It's not always comfortable. Mm, and I think that that goes into like our trauma stuff. And I'm not going to go there. I'm going to stay on track. <laughs> uh, so the third thing is that opiate addiction is absolutely terrible. That it's not always something that a person chooses and that our healthcare system is a really big problem because they hand out these pills like candy. And in my experience, they handed out these p pills like candy and then did nothing to support me um, once I left the hospital. It was um, after the surgery, after my epidural was removed, I was on ketamine and fentanyl for a little bit. I was on the ketamine because I, they couldn't give me enough fentanyl for my pain alone. Um, it was affecting my heart. And then after I was removed from the ketamine, I was still on, uh, I think they changed me to like Dilaudid or something. And I don't know the difference between all of them. Um, they all take the pain away really, really good. And make me really relaxed is what I know and I had like just a little like clicker that every so often I could click and just get that hit to the vein um and after after they um I came off of that once I was able to pass gas which meant that I, my digestion had started working. And that took a really long time for me because there was so much damage from the surgery to my digestive tract. So it was basically kind of like dead, not working when I came out of that surgery. And it didn't work for like 12 days, like 12 days before I was able to feel any movement down there. And it took a really, really long time after that for the movement to be anything like normal. But as soon as it started moving, they wanted to get me off of the, uh, um, what do they call it? Uh, there's a name for it. 
pain, something, direct care. I don't know. It was like, this is my direct line to my vein for the opiates. Another side effect of this year of surgery and also my hormones is that my memory shit sometimes. So, and when words are hard, especially if I miss a dose of my uh, progesterone hormone, I think it's like, makes me feel like I'm already in menopause or something. So, opiate addiction is terrible. Our healthcare system doesn't really, didn't really support me in transitioning um, off of it. I was sent home with the pills. Um, as soon as I could take the pills, they started giving me the pills in the hospital. And it was like a couple days after that, I was sent home. Uh, they didn't tell me anything about when to stop the pills, just to keep taking them because it was important that I not be in pain, which makes sense. Like they don't want you in pain. So the body isn't focusing on the pain. Instead, it's like able to heal the things that need to heal. Um, but at some point, I stopped taking the pills on a regular schedule because I was feeling better and then I would feel really, really, really bad. And it turned out it was my body experiencing withdrawal symptoms. It wasn't pain from the what had happened to me in the surgery and my body trying to heal. It was pain from not having the pill. And when I realized that uh, Graham encouraged me to detox or to uh, uh, <laughs> taper off of them, and I couldn't do it. My body just wouldn't let me take it. So I ended up going through like three days of intense opiate withdrawals, of which when I asked my doctor about it, he was like, the pharmaceutical companies don't tell us about that. They've told us in the past that if we prescribe an opiate for pain, for legitimate pain from like a surgery like yours that you won't get addicted and I've heard this from other people who have been prescribed opiates for intense pain and then ended up addicted and then their doctors have said well hey that shouldn't have happened guess what it does so this is why grandma gets addicted why the Karens of the world are addicted and why why people who started on these things for legitimate pain from surgery or back injury or whatever get addicted and can't stop because it's hard to face that pain. And I've talked about this before um, in other episodes, so I'm not going to harp on that too much, especially since I feel like I'm kind of rambling. Um, but I recently... I have been speaking with someone who's about to go through this surgery and this is one of the things that I made sure to tell him is that like be ready for that and take it take the opiates for the pain but also be aware tune into your body and know what feels like pain from the surgery and what feels just like weird pain um and in speaking about this and, and thinking about the things I've been through from this last year and the privilege that it gives me, the things that I know that someone else doesn't know because of this experience, um, this is something that I really need to talk more about, I think. Um, so I wanted to mention it again. 
The next thing is, I'm gonna check myself on time, all right. Um, the next thing is, is that our bodies are resilient, our brains are plastic, but our minds can be a real bitch. And um, this is something that I've observed over the last year. Obviously my body is incredibly resilient. I ate a raw salad the other day, which, you know, coming right out of that surgery, I felt like I'd never eat again. I felt like food would never taste okay again and that I was doomed. Uh, and when I could start eating, I could only eat very well cooked things. Um, my taste buds only wanted sugar. Like that's all shifted and changed. Um, and my bowel movements were very uh, erratic. I did not have control. That has changed. My mindset has changed. My mood has changed. My energy has changed. What I've been able to digest have cha has changed. And I can move more easily. There's just so much. I've come so far from, from having all that tumor in my body, having that cancer in my body, going through a surgery that was really intense and got it out, being in the hospital, being fed through an IV, learning to eat again and going through a time when I lost an additional 20 pounds because I wasn't able to obtain good nourishment through my own mouth and digestive system. Um, and then like gaining healthy weight back and healthy strength. It's incredible. I don't have a spleen. I don't have a gallbladder. I'm missing good bits of intestine an appendix and my ileocecal valve, which that's a tricky one. That's given me some problems, some SIBO stuff. Um, I don't have the lady parts, so I don't have a cycle and the hormone replacement therapy really helps but if I'm not consistent about it also messes me up hence why like I can't remember words sometimes um but for the most part here I am a year out with all of those changes and there are people who don't know me who look at me from the outside and have no idea because I look just like a normal healthy human being um and on that point um I think that's a, a good, uh, like, it reminds me that health is, health is feeling, health isn't a look. Health isn't skinny, health isn't even muscle necessarily. Health is about how I feel and what's going on inside for all of us. Um, and then our brains being plastic. I've been led down this path of nervous system healing, of reading more about the brain, of seeing how... Um, our brains can change and our mindset can change and um, but also that the mind can be a real bitch because there's so much fear there's so much like learned shit in there that it's hard to get out because we're so well practiced at it and so I've realized how much um my thinking can really easily go against my own self-interest still, even though this mindset awareness stuff, this piece of it is something that I've been uh, working on for the last few years. It still comes up um, because I've had 38 years 
of conditioning and being taught that um, being conditioned into these systems that we live in, like the medical system and thinking that doctors are there to help and they, they have the answers and they are, they are the person to trust with healthcare, um, but they're not. Um, there's similar feelings that I have about thoughts within our families, about blood being thicker than water and just needing to respect someone just because of who they are in our life or our biology and that not holding true. All kinds of things that like these, like the mind in our society holds as truth and it just may not really be true. It may not really be serving. So, uh, that's been a really fun and fascinating path of discovery this last year. Number five is that our pace of life is way too fast. It doesn't allow for true feeling and without true feeling, we can't heal. Um, we have to be real to heal. We have to feel to heal. We have to stay, we have to be connected and slow down to know what's going on. Um, after my surgery, I was given three months to quote unquote heal and then go, go back quote unquote <laughs> to normal life, to go back to work. And there was very little support from Western medicine in that. There was a lot of encouragement from, quote-unquote, the world to get back to normal as soon as I could. Um, and it, came, it comes through in, like, innocent questions, like, are you feeling like your old self? Or, like, are you, is everything back to normal? It's like, what the, what the fuck does that mean? Um, I think some of us are feeling that now with the shelter-in-place and COVID stuff. It's like... There was a, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get back to normal. Um, and for some of us, a, oh my gosh, I don't want to go back to normal. Um, and I think looking at everything happening holistically, I'm going, wow, normal was not working. <laughs> and that's how I felt with my three, three months of healing time, then going back to work, feeling stressed again and realizing wow, my normal wasn't working and life is too fast and I need more time. And um, the Smart Body, Smart Mind course that I've done this these last, well, it ended at the beginning of June. So over the last four months has really shown me just how true that is, that slowness is needed for, and I'm speaking from my personal experience, um, but I I feel that on a world scale, this is true, slowness is needed to start feeling again. We've become so conditioned to just live fast and numb out and not pay attention to what's going on that we make ourselves sick. If I had learned to slow down 10 years ago, 20 years ago, if I had been able to feel through my childhood... I may not be here. Even if I had learned to slow down right before my surgery, 
instead of nine months after it, how different might things be? I don't know, but I know it's not too late to slow down now. And I know that the pace of life that the world is encouraging us to maintain has terrible implications on our health, terrible implications for the environment. I mean, look at how much the world healed when we all slowed down for shelter in place. And um, now it'll be interesting to see how it changes as things, quote unquote, go back to normal. But um, the way I see normal is normal's too fast and normal is what made me sick. So, um, and that actually is my, my sixth point is that there is no going back to normal, that it's not healthy and, um, that true wellness, I think is unfamiliar to most of us. I don't know it yet. I've had tastes of it and some of the things that I'm embarking upon to access true wellness. Uh, some of them have been happening before I even was diagnosed with cancer. You know, writing more, speaking more, dancing, getting in touch with nature. And um, all of the, well, I won't say all of the things, but many of the things are radical. They seem weird. They seem out of the ordinary, not normal. And if, if true wellness is unfamiliar, um, then I think so is the path there. So um, I'm embarking on some new ways, um, living, living radically, a little on the fringe, I guess. The seventh thing is that pain is really meaningful really, really meaningful. And I, I have a greater appreciation for pain as a messenger right now. It's not something to make go away. And this goes back to what I talked about, about doctors is that they want to just make the pain go away. But pain has a message and disease has a message. So it's something to tend to and be curious about. Yeah, we may not want to live in pain. That may not be the best for us, but to ask why the pain? What's the message? What's going on? Um, what, how am I relating to the pain? Am I resisting it and making it worse? Like I notice sometimes I get a pain in my, my abdomen and so I don't want to feel the pain. So I tense up and I stop breathing. If I breathe, I kind of feel the pain. But then if I keep breathing, the pain goes away. And so I kind of see the pain there is some like block, some constriction, some energy stagnation. And because I don't want to feel the pain, I stop breathing. So I further cause this lack of flow. And then if I breathe, I feel the pain. And then as I keep breathing, the pain moves and it's gone and everything's flowing again. Um, and that goes into some other things. Uh, well, actually, the next thing that I believe um, and that I've really gotten to know in this last year is that everything's energy. Everything's energy. Energy can be transformed. We are conductors of energy and we 
don't conduct energy well because we hold, because of how some experiences get stuck in our body, um, of how we have these patterns that aren't serving us. Um, and so I believe that healing at this energetic level, which I do see as this level of the nervous system, is my greatest hope for healing. And I think for all of us, as individuals, it's our greatest hope for our own health and the health of the world too. Like it's gotta start with our own, our own inner world, our own inner energy and our inner energy system. Um, and then number nine is that um, I think we have to um, become like a child to gain the wisdom of a sage. This year I've gained a greater appreciation for children, ironically, now that I can't have them, which is sad. Um, oh, I didn't expect that to hit me. So that hit me and I feel sad. I also felt like an opening in my chest and in my like solar plexus and sacral chakra, like everything in my abdomen just kind of like relaxed as I cried a few tears and spontaneously took some deep breaths and ask like, why am I sad about that? Hmm. Sad for things I didn't know. But to my point here is that I have a greater appreciation for children children, things, I call them, I'm, I'm calling them things because I'm speaking from a version of my past self, things that I resisted, things that I didn't understand, they annoyed me, why would you want them, why would you want that layer of responsibility, they cried, they, ugh, ugh, I just had no desire for children, and, um, Ironically, I thought I was pregnant when I was diagnosed. And when I was diagnosed, I was like, gosh, I wish I would have just been pregnant. Like, wow. Um, ugh. And I, like, I get into my view of really myself being reborn here. Is that I wasn't pregnant with a child, I, I had cancer, and what I ended up giving birth to was the child within me. And in many ways over this last year, I became a child. I needed to be taken care of. I couldn't feed myself. I... I was helpless. 
um, I was really tuned in to everything. I could feel everything. Like, really, when my digestion started coming back online, I could feel everything in my digestive system. Um, like I said, I could feel the energy of those nurses. Um, I wore diapers. <laughs> I didn't have bowel control. Um, I had to, in many ways, like, learn what this body was again. Um, and I also let go of shame around some things, which is a childlike place to be free of shame because I think kids don't really babies don't come in the world with shame we give them shame they learn it and without that shame I felt more authentic more real more able to tend to like my real feelings and what's there and over the course of the year shame has crept back in and new shames have formed but I'm a lot more aware of it and I'm more appreciative of of having the experience of helplessness and relearning that's something that Irene Lyon's Smart Body Smart Mind course allowed me to go deeper into um, part of um, one of our lessons was watching this baby move on the floor and watching how it learned to use the floor to support itself, to feel the floor, how it followed these impulses and movement. And in doing that, um, myself laying on the floor and letting myself get lost, I realized places where energy was stuck in my body, where I was holding things, where I didn't want to go. Um, so I was learning like about this body all over again and getting to sort of rewrite the map. So I was gaining this deep wisdom about energy and relationship and my body and health, um, just by being like a child. So even though there's this part of me that's really sad that I will never know what it's like to have a child myself. Um, that I have a very unique experience that's different. Uh, that is not normal. <laughs> it's radical. Um, but it's also really beautiful and it's given me a lot. And that I have this opportunity now to put the energetic resources that I will not put towards nurturing and growing a child inside of me um, and seeing a child, you know, outside of me through the world, I can put that to the child inside myself, to my own health, that I can share what I learn and that I can nurture children within all of us and maybe, maybe real children in my family, you know, nieces, nephews, and in the world and understand what that really means on a different level through this experience that I'm having. Um, 
And so 10, I, I swear I had 10 here. I've actually got notes um, on my computer and I'm looking at it and there were definitely 10 bullets and that 10th one has disappeared. Um, so if I had to just kind of say what the 10th one was, like what's coming to me right now, that it's just never too late. And I used to fear being weird, not being normal, and being like an outcast. And now, I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's what I want to be. I don't want to be normal. Fuck your normal. I don't want it. I don't want the beliefs that have been making me sick and making other people suffer and the world not good and so I'm gonna be getting weirder yeah getting weirder so prepare prepare for getting weirder and staying real like <laughs> um because getting weird doesn't mean have to blah 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 I don't think getting weird necessarily means, like, um, that I'm always going to be talking in energy. Like, there's a practical level to the weirdness as well. Um, and that's, that could be as simple as, um, just choosing to take a set of questions to your doctor or choosing to lie in the grass for 10 minutes a day for no reason. You know, I think there's people in our lives and mindsets and systems that would say, why would you do that? That's a waste of time. What's the point? That's not going to do anything for you. But Maybe it will. What do they know? You know, like, what does that normal mean? Laying in the grass maybe isn't, like, the biggest example. Um, or not the biggest example, but, like, I think of a weirder example, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm rambling now, uh, so I'm going to cut it off here. I'm happy to be here a year later. I'm happy to be here... Um, I'm just happy to be here and to keep doing this and to keep getting to express because that's a movement of energy through me and it's an energy that is then captured and put out there that other people have access to and um can listen and see how it relates to their own experience that's the exciting part of doing this podcast for me um and on that note I'd be curious for those of you listening what would you like to hear more about you know from those 10 things that I listed and all the things that I said what strikes you the most do you want to know more about energy relationships what it means to be childlike or take care of your inner child or 
how we can slow down or um, examining systems of, of quote-unquote normalcy. Do you want to know about what it feels like to detox from opiates or, um, yeah, any of that? Um, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. As always, you can hang out with me over on Instagram and I will be talking more soon here, um, specifically about, um, what I've been observing in the week since the George Floyd murder and all of the Black Lives Matter and, um, what I experienced in listening to myelinated voices. I did go silent for that week. Um, it's not something that I forgot about. Uh, this isn't just totally back to regularly scheduled programming. Although if you've been listening for a while, you know that I'm really bad at regular scheduled programming. Um, so, uh, I just, I just do want to say that I've not forgotten about that, um, in my life, this, you know, one year of being around post-surgery, um, has just been really present and what I wanted to share. So I hope you're well. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here and being a part of my life. I appreciate you all so much. Lots of love until next time.